Today we'd like to take a look at uh, Acts uh, chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. We discovered at the beginning of Acts chapter 8 that um, persecution has, had broke out against the church and um, the people of God were sent to uh, many different places. And we read the story about uh, Philip and now we have a meanwhile that begins Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't, hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. In August of 1973, Charles Colson, special counsel to Richard Nixon, also known as his hatchet man, sat in his car crying buckets of tears. He was in the driveway of a good friend, totally unable to drive away. His life had just been transformed. Tom Phillips, the CEO of Raytheon, had read from C.S. Lewis and shared with Colson the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he had offered to pray with Colson. Colson declined Phillips' offer. He said he'd 
like to get back to him after he'd read through C.S. Lewis's book that was just given to him, Mere Christianity. But when Colson got to his car, he couldn't drive. Big and tough as he was, this ex-Marine and White House tough guy was crying too hard. He was calling out to God. He had only one thought, that he needed Jesus. The man who raised havoc in Washington, D.C. through all his manipulations had come to the end of his rope. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. All Chuck Colson knew was that he needed Jesus. God's first step toward us is to catch our attention. When we're in the midst of pursuing our own agenda, God catches us up short. Saul was storming toward Damascus. He was determined to arrest as many Christians, followers of the way, as possible. But God arrested Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Like a a bounty hunter, Saul felt compelled to extradite every Christian to prison. But Saul wasn't in it for money. He was pursuing what he thought was right. Saul was a law man. He says so in his own words. You know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting Christians, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. If anyone had the credentials to uphold God's law, it was Saul. One person notes that Saul was concerned for three things. One, he was zealous for Israel's God and for the Torah, the law. Saul came from one of the most zealous and strict sects of the Pharisees. He was accustomed to fierce debate and party loyalty. Today, we call him a militant right-winger. Second, he figured he was God's agent. He would do anything in his power to make sure that others were wholeheartedly keeping God's law, the Torah. Obedience to the Torah would mark them as God's people, ready for that day when God would act to redeem. And finally, Saul would do whatever to make that day come faster. He would even resort to violent force if necessary. Anything to rid Israel of the corrupting influence of those who promoted Jesus as the Messiah. His zeal wasn't about getting down on his knees. His zeal was something you did by the sword. Saul was determined to do what was right. So he went to the high priest, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way he found there. But in the middle of Saul's campaign of terror, God interrupted. Saul was knocked to his knees. A voice from heaven boomed, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When God wants us to change... God starts by getting our attention. God can shout at us through the megaphone of pain. God can make us 
stop short because of tragedy in our lives. God might even whisper to us through some small detail of life. God's first move is to get our attention. God acts in big ways, in small ways, in surprising ways to catch our attention. God wants us to know that we must deal with him. Maybe Saul wanted to arrest Christians. But on that Damascus road, God arrested Saul. And thankfully, when God comes, God disregards our past. Our reputation doesn't mean much to God. When God goes to work on us, he comes with grace. God brings his grace to good or bad, rich or poor, insider or outsider. Grace means that there is nothing we can do to keep God away. Saul once said that he considered himself to be the worst of sinners. Even that didn't keep God away. Saul later wrote, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. One of the better examples of God's amazing grace is the story of John Newton. John Newton came from a Christian home. But his mother, who had started to teach him the Bible and how to pray, died when John was only seven years old. And John's father, a seafarer, took John out to sea with him. And it didn't take long for John to abandon what little faith he had. In his late teens, John worked on a slave trading ship. His cargo was black-skinned people who fetched a decent dollar. And he shipped boatloads of people who were nothing more to him than property to be sold. Newton later described his life as one of continued godlessness and profanity. But when he was 23 years old, John Newton read a book by Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ. At that time, John's ship was caught in a fierce storm. They faced imminent doom, certain that they would be shipwrecked. You can see God trying to catch Newton's attention. Right then, Newton put his faith in God. The God that he had often ridiculed became the God, the object of his belief. And God changed John Newton's life. Newton stopped slave trading, became a Christian pastor and theologian. He had a strong influence on William Wilberforce, a member of England's parliament. And Wilberforce helped to lead the fight to abolish slavery in England. Most of us know Newton because of the famous hymn he wrote. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Thankfully, when God comes to us in grace, he overcomes whatever we've done in the past. There is nothing, not slave trading, not drug addiction, not divorce, not betrayal, not God rejection. There is nothing that God's grace cannot overcome. Ananias tried to pull that trick on God. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He questioned what God was doing. Uh, Excuse me, Lord, haven't you heard the reports on this guy, Saul? He's despicable. Ananias was worried that God didn't know Saul was a Pharisaic hell's angel. Excuse me, Lord, that's hitman Saul and his zealous Jewish goon squad, you know. And it didn't matter. 
God overcame Saul's downside with amazing grace. When Saul later wrote to the Roman church, he said, you see, at just the right time, when we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Saul knew the trade-off was amazing. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. On the road to Damascus, Saul discovered that his attempts to force his way into God's good graces were of no use. All of his trying to do what was right, to do what was the law, all of his murderous attempt to keep God's law and bring on God's kingdom, none of it mattered. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When God enters our lives, whatever we've done in the past doesn't matter. All that matters is that God comes to us with grace. By God's grace, our eyes are opened to see Jesus. Saul met Jesus on that Damascus road. Saul heard the voice. He wondered who it was. Who are you, Lord, he asked. And everything about Saul's life, his mission, his expectation, his sense of God changed when he heard this answer. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. I am Jesus. Suddenly, Saul's whole world changed. When he heard these words, everything he taught was turned upside down. He persecuted the early Christians because of his sense of the law and the prophets. All of that changed with seeing Jesus. One commentator notes, it confirmed everything Saul had been taught. It overturned everything he'd been taught. The God he'd loved from childhood, the God for whose glory he'd been so righteously indignant, the God in whose name and for whose honor he was busy rounding up those who were declaring that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Messiah, the God who had always promised to come and rescue his people had done so in person, in the person of Jesus. So I'll never imagined it. He never imagined that this Jesus whom he believed had led people astray by his magic tricks and some false prophecy about the temple, he never imagined that he, this Jesus, could be the Messiah. Rome had crucified him, which was only proof that he could not be the Messiah. But then, at that Damascus road, Saul saw Jesus. And suddenly, Saul realized That the God he had served, the God that he had studied, the God that he had prayed to, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had done what he had almost always promised he would do. See, Paul was certain that Israel would be vindicated at the end of time after suffering at the hands of pagans. But seeing Jesus changed everything for Saul. God had now done in the person of Jesus what he was supposed to do, what was supposed to happen to Israel. God vindicated Jesus in the middle of time because he had raised Jesus from the tomb. And the one that Saul saw was a resurrected Jesus. Instead of being cursed by dying on the cross, Saul encountered this Jesus fully alive on the road to Damascus. 
Which means that Jesus had been justified by God. It meant that Jesus was the true Messiah. And so Saul's whole perspective changed. He expected God to come at the end of the world to set things right. But now, seeing the dying resurrected Jesus showed Saul that God's plan to set the world right had already happened. That this Damascus Road experience for Saul was like a volcanic eruption, a tidal wave, an earthquake all coming together at once. Jesus' death and resurrection turned out to be the hinge on which God opens the door to his great future. Paul himself says this later when he writes, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Saul realized that Jesus brought this new age of God to this world. Saul wasn't going to make it happen by his violent behavior. God brought this new world, this newness to this world by a resurrected Jesus. Saul's eyes were opened to God's vision of life the moment he caught sight of Jesus. Of course, God's vision for Saul's life didn't stop on that Damascus road. Saul entered a new vocation. God's never interested in just saving people. God opens our eyes so that we will become effective servants for God's cause. God says to Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. God takes all the energy, all the zeal, all the devotion of our former way of life and he turns it to his purposes. There's no dead ends with God. God's grace doesn't stop with us. We become channels of grace to others. We see it in the life of Ananias. God changed Ananias to touch Saul's life. Ananias was in many ways just as blind as Saul He could only see Saul as a threat to the Damascus church. Ananias knew how much Saul did to the saints in Jerusalem. He's come here, says Ananias, to arrest all who call on your name. But God announces a radical reversal. Go, he says. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Instead of causing suffering to those who call on God's name, God calls Saul to a new life. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. And as God announces this radical reversal, Ananias undergoes his own change. He does just as God told him to. He goes to Straight Street. He enters the room. He lays his hands on Saul. No longer is this Ananias' enemy Ananias reached out to his tormentor and said, Brother Saul. Ananias became a channel of God's grace to commission Saul to God's service. Saul once was this man and all the harm he's done. But now, Saul was to Ananias, brother, by the grace of God. Saul's life changed. Saul was then transformed to take up his life's work. 
From then on, everyone that Saul once considered an enemy of God became an object of God's grace. Saul's mission was to make them friends of God, and he spent his whole life turning others into his brothers and sisters. This was particularly true of Gentiles, pagans, people who knew nothing about God and who could really care less about God. The Lord changed Saul's life, calling him to this particular task. He didn't come to the the dead end of his vendetta. God redirected him. Saul would now bring this message of the one true God, the Jewish good news about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the good news about God's Messiah, Jesus, to a world of pagans who knew nothing at all about God. Saul, who wanted most of all to stamp out the message about Jesus, now became the ambassador preaching the message of Jesus to those who are outside of the law. And T. Wright notes the humor of God's way. When you want to reach the pagan world, the person to do it will be a hardline, fanatical, ultra-nationalist, super-orthodox, pharisaic Jew. God has a sense of humor. There are no dead ends with God. God transforms our lives so that we will be God's servants to the world. God's not interested in just saving us. God saves us for His purposes. God saves us through the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we will live in and for His new creation. All of those who were once enemies of God are now, by God's grace, brothers and sisters in Christ. God took Ananias to go and touch the life of Saul and became transformed. God took Saul, turning him into a Paul, and the good news of Jesus spread throughout the world, transforming his life. So what does God want to do with your life? Living Jesus is loose in the world. He encounters people. He shapes a community of faith for his mission. Somehow, some way, God grabs our attention through a quiet whisper or maybe through a Damascus road blinding light. God comes to us with grace. God doesn't stop there. God not only opens our eyes to see Jesus, God calls us to a new life of living for Jesus. Enemies become brothers or sisters. Any self-righteous desire to pursue our truth is replaced by a witness to God's truth. There's no dead ends with God. Instead, like Saul, we can become channels of God's grace out to the world. God takes the raw material of our lives to bear the name of Jesus. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But let's be clear. We're not going to be able to go out into the world and make disciples without the support and encouragement of the gathered body of Jesus Christ. Saul was encouraged to faith and action by the love of Ananias. Charles Colson was encouraged to faith and action by the support of Tom Phillips. So too, we depend on the gathered community to encourage us to faith and action. 
God doesn't use just the drama of a Damascus Road encounter. God meets us in the ongoing life of Christian community. God shapes our calling and mission right here at His table. See, the Christian life's not an individualistic endeavor. We're part of a community larger than ourselves with a mission greater than our own vision. We depend, we depend on the wisdom, the discernment, the faithfulness of others as we pursue ministry together. Notice what happens with Saul. And Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul died to his old life and was raised to a newness of life. Filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized and he took some food. Some speculated that the food that he took was the bread and cup of the Eucharist. It makes sense. Not only do we meet Jesus in those Damascus Road experiences, we meet Jesus here at his table. As we celebrate our communion in Christ, the Holy Spirit transforms and empowers us for his mission. On the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord our God, send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your saints be united with Christ. And may we remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. Amen.